It felt like Armageddon to some, but to the rest of us, it was just common sense coming back. Next on Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principles and Policy. And along with me today is our co-host, the Vice Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend, Chuck Michaels. Hey, it's very good to be back with you, Barry. And uh, sorry we missed last week. I tried to run one that was kind of relevant. Um, so there you go. Well, it happens. And, and, and that's okay. You know, we just... Uh, we ran into a rough week. Uh, I'm sure our listeners can uh, commiserate with us on uh, weeks kind of getting out of control and, and more things happening than you can keep up with. I, we live in a culture, Chuck, where we're all pushed to basically do more, uh, perform more, and be more than I think our our systems are capable of handling sometimes. Uh, and sometimes what happens is you break down. You get sick. You get exhausted. Um, other issues can come up, uh, or you just basically realize there's not more than 24 lunar calendar hours in a day, no matter how hard you want to put another seven or eight in there. <laughs> well, think about it in, this, in these terms. Okay. One of the th- things that we hear about is how executives are paid too much money. Okay. About, you know, middle management and, and upper management make, make too much money. No one should make that much money. Okay. It's been my experience. One of the, you know, people would ask me if I wanted to train for higher management, and I'm like, no, I, I would not. And the reason was, yes, the pay, the rewards financially were better, but what did you have to do? You had to work. You had to take work at home to home. Mm-hmm, you had to take right. it to home. You had to take work home. You had to work weekends. You had to work, uh, you know. Uh, instead of working eight to five, uh, eight to four, mm-hmm. sometimes you had to stay till nine, and you had to you had to do all these things. You had to give up many of your family things to achieve the things that the, the corporation wanted you to do. Uh huh. And I, I'm not. I'm. I am speaking from experience here. Now we just call that being self-employed. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, somebody like me who works at home, right? I can easily come out to the office. I can have dinner with my wife and come out to the office. Sometimes she'll come out and sit out and watch the TV while I work. And Yep. Uh, but that being said, uh, people are asked to surrender things they shouldn't surrender. True. And that's kind of what you're getting at here is we're being asked to do more and more and more and more. Uh, things are costing more and more and more and more. And yet, who's getting the, the concomitant salary increase? Almost nobody, except that the, uh, uh, you know, uh, sports types who are negotiating gigantic contracts and that kind of thing. And even that's starting to dry up because, let's face it, when it costs $400 for one person to go to an NFL game, and that's all-inclusive, because um, the tickets are what, like over 100 I, th- I don't even know anymore. I, I wouldn't know because last time I went to an NFL game... <laughs> I was before I was married, so you know, so say, it's almost thirty years. I think nineteen eighty was the last time I went to an yeah, NFL I was gonna, game. Yeah, I was going to say it's been a while for me too. So, um, but uh, uh, we are being asked to do more and more and more and more and more and more, and people that are working are working really hard because the people that refuse to go back to work aren't. 
Well, and, and that's always been the case, Chuck. I mean, yeah. if you look at it, we've always been working hard. Okay, and I'm not going to go back and say that there was some kind of halcyon time no. where everything was idyllic and utopian and everything was great. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, glad you're not going to do that. I, I'm not going to do that because I, I too often you hear, well, you know, if we were just like doing this. And it's like, no, it had its own set of trouble. For those of you who lit, grew up in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, they all had their own basket of troubles. There were always issues going on. There were always people who, who had to work really hard and people who chose not to work at all. Yeah. Uh, whether that was, you know, voluntarily or involuntarily. Um, you know, we've always had a system, but, you know, the one thing that's kind of changed, Chuck, really, is our attitude toward what value we place on work. Okay. And what I'm saying really is getting at the idea of have we made accomplishment an idol? Have we turned into a people whose God is basically a golden calf or a bigger paycheck right. or a you know successful business? People worked hard, but you know, if let's let's roll back the clock fifty, sixty, seventy years. You had more of a common idea, uh, for the most part, a more common, commonly held work is good for work is not an evil societal conceptualization that work work had value, that community mattered, that it was a person's duty to help those who are less fortunate around them. What happened in these last 70 years? Now, if we go to the scriptures, we take a look and we see myriad places throughout scripture where God is calling his people, whether individually or as a group, to offer assistance, to care, and especially in the New Testament, to care for widows and orphans, to provide for the needs. The reason why we have deacons in churches now is because when the first century church in Acts was being formed, they realized that they had to have people who were preaching the word, but those people had to be definitely focused on preaching the word. But you had physical needs of the, of the people who were coming, the thousands who were coming, and somebody had to take care of that. Somebody had to be able to get them food or, or provide, find places for them to be or pick up after them. And that's where the whole idea of the diaconate came in, where right. you had this idea yeah. of work being a part of worship. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going. I'm not swimming the Tiber. I'm not going Roman Catholic. <laughs> I'm not saying that work, you know, work save you because they don't. But the point is, is that even in Scripture, the value of work was recognized all, concomitantly to, and I'm not saying equal to, but concomitantly to the work of preaching the word, of giving the gospel. There's another way to live the gospel, and that's through service. The diaconate. And the and the elders, uh, and I forget what the Greek is for elder. Um, presbyter. Presbytoi. Presbytoi. Yeah, that's right. Thank you very much for helping re- refresh my memory. But the presbytoi and the diaconate, um, or diakonos in, in the Greek, they were both important roles. Yeah, you can see that in the book of Acts because right. that's when the the two offices sort of split out. Yes, they did. Because the 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 teaching elders 
We're saying we don't have time. We can't take the time to serve tables. Serve tables and f- the physical needs of everybody. Right. And So we and, need and, a second group to, exactly. that whose specialty is that. Whose specialty is that. And so it elevated the level of, of work to being important in the whole global concept of the presentation of the gospel message. Yeah, you know, it doesn't take the place of the gospel, mind you, and it and it should never be substituted for the gospel. And that's what I'm getting at here is I think in these last at least I'd say seventy years. Let, let's go back to the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties. Well, okay, it's the nineteen forties and up. We've had a change away where work has become much more important than even worship. Um oftentimes today you have churches that the the diaconate has more influence over what happens in the church than the elders do. Uh, in some in some instances. Yeah, I, but, I, but I the, can the, see the, there. The, yeah. fa- the fact that the the physical plant has become the central focus of what we mean to be a church and not the preaching of the gospel and the you know caring for people in their spiritual needs. And you know, we're seeing that. Uh, my son just sent me a meme. He's big on memes. I mean, this guy was upset because his phone just broke, and he he's, he couldn't transfer the, <laughs> I forget how many gigabytes of, of file storage space of memes that he had, because he's like, he collects this stuff, and, you know, he wants to he wants to write this stuff someday himself. You know, he, he loves this stuff. But he sent me a little piece, and I, and I thought it was very poignant because it got me to thinking about all this. Um. And, and my son's also a night owl, so I think he sent me this at like one o'clock in the morning. Of course, right? yeah. And I didn't see it till I woke up this morning because I'm not a night owl. Um, and as soon as I can get my messaging to open, where he actually sent it, yeah, he sent me a meme. It's in black and white, and it's two pictures. And at the top, there's this picture of this big sprawling building. You know the type I'm talking about. Yeah. And this, the caption says there are over 350,000 churches in America, and I'm sure that number's low. The bottom picture shows a man sleeping on a sidewalk. And it says, so why are there 200,000 people sleeping on our streets? What have we forgotten? The problem is, is that in the last 70 or 80 years, we went from that place at the top being the center of a community, of the church through the preaching of the word and the diaconate service, meeting needs in their community to handing it over to government and telling government, oh, and government telling us, we can do it more efficiently and better than you. How's that working out? How do the great society programs work out? How is yeah. Build Back Better seeming going to work out? Which we've now, the Wharton School has come up, they actually now I know what, what the actual numbers are. Uh, Joe it's, Biden was a little off in his math. When he, he said, said it, he said it was going to be free, it wasn't going to cost anything. I think he said it's not going to cost a nickel, and he it, was right. He's right. It's not going to cost a nickel. It's going to cost two point seven two trillion dollars. I think that's a low, number. and I think that's low too. But but the whole point is, is that in that time period, Chuck, we've reduced the role of the church so much, and I say we. Not saying just government did it, but I think we and you and I are officers in the church have either subconsciously, unconsciously, or just because of the weight of, you know, that's that's the zeitgeist in the movement, 
have basically allowed the church to be relegated to a second or third place position in yes. meeting needs of people. Well, uh, the church has abandoned its r- role, which is feeding the homeless, whether they're a member of your church or a member of your denomination or not. Yeah. Now think about this. In the 20s and 30s, especially in the 30s, uh, we went through a period, you know, the Depression. Yeah. And there were people who did not have jobs. That's right. And rode around on railways. Yep. In in unused freight cars. And, of course, the Pinkerton men would come along and, and chase them off and, mm-hmm. you know, make them get off. And so right. they'd... Uh, but there were places... Uh, they were called hobos. Do you know what that stands for? Uh, you know, I don't know. Homeward bound. Okay. Homeward bound. Okay. Hobo. Well, uh, that makes sense. And... Uh, were they all homeward bound? Well, a lot. Some of them didn't have a place, a home. So they, what home were they bound for? Who knows? Yeah. But there were people when they were in a town. Other hobos knew where the place was where they could get a sandwich and a glass of milk or a glass of water or sometimes even a beer or right. well, something used, to drink. And if you've ever seen any old movies of hobo, like Tramp Life or anything, you'll see that some fences or some gates had markings on them. Exactly. And those were markings telling other people whether somebody was kind and would give them something or yes. would try to shoot them and, and that, run them off. And that's where I was going because... Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. There, I didn't mean to cut no, you. No, no, no. It's good past. because you got where I was going. Yeah. Um, the fact is there were there were people who knew who the good Christian people were who, who would feed them. Yes. Now, a lot of times these people didn't have much, only marginally more than they did, but nonetheless, they opened their homes and, yes. they, and they would give a man, a starving man, a sandwich. Yep. Uh, do we have that now? Well, no. What do you do when you see a a, a hobo running around in your neighborhood? Well, usually people call the you cops. You call the cops. Or, or they believe that, well, you know, there's a program for them, and, and if they just got in a program, they'd be okay. Um, and it's basically we've shifted off to be somebody else's problem. Right. Now, Chuck, you did. I don't know. I showed you this picture on my phone. Did you see the whole picture? Because there's another little piece to this this meme. I'm just far enough away. I You're just far enough thing. away. Okay, so I showed you the, the so you had the church up at the top. There. Yep. It's this big sprawling massive mega building, church. mega yeah, it's building. A mega church. And then you saw the guy sleeping on the street. So the yep. question is, why there's two hundred? Well, there the that wasn't the meme. The meme was the answer, which was an article from a television station in Atlanta, dated in t- December of 2016. Headline. Church facing twelve thousand dollar fine for letting homeless people sleep on their property. Government in the way. That's the other. The church had the responsibility, very first and foremost. Obviously, the family has the first responsibility, but the church has the next responsibility of caring for people who don't have enough, and so who are less fortunate. And so when, but now because the church. Eh, ceded that role mainly to government. I mean, you think about it. Originally, our hospitals were all formed by faith denominations, churches. churches. The Methodists, you know, or the Presbyterians, or or the Catholic Church. All of them formed. They formed hospitals. They formed care centers. What's the Salvation Army, for goodness' sake? Yeah, it was a church-based rescue mission for people who were homeless and alcoholic and yeah. alcoholic. Now they're still doing. Now I'll give. I'm going to give SA their their bones because they're still doing the job they are still working hard trying to meet needs okay 
but the vast majority of the churches basically decided during the Great Society, I, I, and this was happening before Lyndon Johnson, but even in that time frame, the church basically said, oh, well, if the government can come in, they've got all these great programs and these agencies and this administration and this and this grant and this thing, and they'll take care of all this stuff. Well, then great. Then we can get about the business of soul winning. But that's not the only business of the church. Again, going all the way back to Paul, you had the presbytery and the diaconate. And the diaconate met the physical needs of the people coming to that church, coming coming into that fellowship. Yeah. Um, but then once you give government a little bit of power, they'll take it. And they'll take it, and then they'll pervert it. And so now, and, and again, this is, this is a five-year-old article, but we're seeing what's happening in other places. Right. You know, ask some of our other church friends who've tried to establish shelters or who've tried to establish soup kitchens and had governments, whether local, county, state, or federal, getting their business about it, saying, oh, well, you're going to violate your tax status or, right. or you're violating zoning. zoning or whatever it is. And then, of course, you get to the situation where government comes in and actually punishes the church for trying to take back its original role that it should have never let go in the first, in the place, first place to that government. And that's the problem, Barry. Do you know? But do you know who one of the big uh, proponents that caused this to happen, who, who they were? Oh, I don't. You please tell. Progressive liberal Christians who basically wanted the thought. No, the churches shouldn't be responsible for this. The government should. Well, how's that working out for us? It's not uh, working I, out at all. Well, well, what it's working out to is, like I said, we got $2.4 trillion that, that the Wharton School of Business at uh, the University of Pennsylvania has basically done the, done their math and done the study. The, the whole idea of Biden's reconciliation package, it's called Build Back Better. That's that's their PR that they're using for it, or BBB, which we think when we think BBB, better it's Better Business, business Bureau. Bureau. Yeah. Well, this is bust businesses beyond hope yeah. is what bbb stands bus, for with bus this. businesses behinds basically yeah um <laughs> that the net cost that will be an extra 2.42 trillion dollars in debt and what is this going to do chuck you know this build back better oh it's not about just about infrastructure it's about all kinds of social programs all kinds of special grants for things like transgenders and right you know uh the arts and everything all these things that why should government, through our tax dollars, be responsible for? Because many of these, especially the social programs, it's that, whether it's that mega building on the hill or if that's that little ramshackle back in the woods, those churches and the people in them, the leaders and the parishioners, are a community, and that community is responsible for their the people around. They're they're responsible for the health of their community, their biosphere. Let's call it. You every church in this country, all whatever three hundred fifty thousand, and I think that number is low. Yeah, that's low. I'm I mean, you can sure. just go. You can go in inner city Columbus, and you see like two or three churches on every corner. I mean, all different kinds of denominations. We, we can uh, we can say church in quotes and well, but, and but okay, but, but I know gonna, I'm, I'm going to just I'm a gonna, building I'm gonna, used for religious purposes. I'm going to play advocate on this one and say that if they put it themselves out as being a church, we'll give them the benefit of we'll the doubt until proven yeah. otherwise. Because there are a lot of ones who would be considered, you know, by every standard, a church, but isn't. 
because they've become apostate. They've right. lost their first love. They're preaching a different gospel. Boy, I'm starting to sound like I'm talking about places in my own denomination. Okay, this is starting to drive me crazy because um, we're having some issues. But we're uh, get, I'm not going to get into those right now. But yeah. we're having some big issues within our own denomination. So, but but looking at this way, have we now elevated work to an idol because we have no other choice? We are taxed. Oh yeah, a, tremendously. Now people will say, "Oh, you're not taxed that much." You, when you start looking yeah. at all of the taxes that, a, that an average working individual has to pay, it isn't just your tax on your on your income, and it's not just your tax on your property. It's all the hidden taxes. It's the fees. I, try to start a business. You're going to find out there's an awful lot of taxation on starting a business. I, I saw somebody said there's only 400 and some pages from the you know um, federal government on how to start a small business. Well, 380 of those are forms you have to fill out and pay for. (laughs) Okay, do you remember when we were teaching Institute on the Constitution, and by the way, we want to do that again. So if you're interested in in an Institute on the Constitution class, 12-week class on on the Constitution, how it works, how it's supposed to work, and how it's broken, and how we can get it back and fix it. Uh, But we had a fellow that, that took our class, and we had an open question period. Do you remember that? I did. And uh, we, we had a long discussion with this gentleman about, uh, he, he would say, I work for this department in the state government and we don't work on tax money. Really? How do you run your organ? How do you run your, your uh, agency? Fees. 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 And I said, do you not understand that a fee is a tax? Is a tax. Is a specialized oh, no, tax. No, it's not. Because it's a it's, specialized yeah. tax. No, it's because it's voluntary. No, no, it's not. It's not voluntary. <laughs> if I want to have something done, I have to pay that fee. I'm not. I I don't have the option of not pulling those. That's permits right. If I don't want to go to jail, that's exactly. Uh, it. Or if I don't want to pay a fine above the amount of the fee, that is a that's indirect coercion. You know, it's sort of like this whole thing with the with, and I'm not going to get into this today, but the vax, right. but the vax mandates. You know, right, and and businesses. You know, oh, well, no, no, we're just telling them they won't keep a job if they don't take the shot. Yeah, there's no coercion there. No coercion at all. They have have a free choice to make, whether to feed their families or risk their lives. You know, okay, wonderful. That's great. But the point is, that's coercion. So so (laughs) is government. So are fees. Whenever you have to go, when you have to go buy a license to pull fish out out of the water to feed your family, you're being taxed. Yeah, well, if that's you have, a tax. If you have to buy a license and a tag to go hunt a deer in your woods to put meat in your freezer in the wintertime, that's a tax. Um, when you go and buy the equipment to do it, whether it's a fishing pole or a bow and arrow or a gun and, and bullets, luckily if you can find any. Yeah, um, good luck to you. You're paying taxes on all those. If you buy your meat from the grocery store, you're paying tax on that. No one says, oh, well, the food isn't taxed. Like, crazy it's That's not absurd it's absurd the it's producers are, all the way down the production line people okay you you've hit on a, a pet peeve of mine please it's tax-free there, there is, is no, no such thing. thing folks if you don't it understand no, it has no okay. obvious upfront taxes showing on state it. <laughs> local and federal government take about 40 percent of your income if, yes they do if you're if you're middle class right and if about, you're lucky about 40 percent and you're lucky how much do they actually take Closer to sixty-five. Well, if you think about all the things, if you go and buy, you go buy gasoline for your car, it's taxed. You, yeah. buy, you have a car, 
that car is taxed. And if you live in certain states, you would pay an annual tax on that car just to own it. That's right. It's not just that. You go to the store, and it's grocery, so it's not taxed, right? Wrong. Wrong. Because the farmer who produced it paid taxes. Right. And guess what? He had to build his cost into the cost of the, of whatever you buy. Right. And, Milk, and, meat, vegetables, yeah. butter, um, um yeah. Name all the staples that you and, need. And the mill or the slaughterhouse that he took his grain, his produce or his or his uh, livestock had to, to pay tax. Had to pay taxes. Um, and folks, those taxes aren't just things that just taxes live forever. Okay, they just keep right. It's like dropping a pebble, but it's in a pool that always vibrates. You know, you never that a tax just keeps going and going because it gets just okay if it costs that farmer. X number of dollars, then he needs to get so many dollars out of selling his produce or his livestock head in order to yeah. pay for the tax. But then he sells it at that rate. Then whoever gets it next has to then turn around. And when we put our labor and effort into it and pay the taxes, we have to pay for all the stuff we have to pay for, That's including right. including unemployment compensation and, right. and, da, 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 and on and on for employees. Well, then we have to calculate, well, we got to be able to keep the doors open. How much do we have to sell this stuff for to the next guy, and whether that's at the the store or well, or whatever it is, in order to be able to pay for all the taxes and all the expenses we have and make a little bit of a profit so that we can live on. So that gets passed on, and then you get to the grocery store. That price per pound wasn't set by the farmer. No. Wasn't set by the slaughterhouse. It was set by the grocery company because they know how much money they're going to have to get out of it and and they have to count the what they call the shrinkage, which is the spoilage, the loss of stuff that doesn't sell. Yeah, right. Um, they have to count, you know, the inventory stocking and things. They have to count all the like the utilities, the cost of of goods, the advertising right. they do, the packaging, everything. All that gets figured into when you see that sticker price, and you go into sticker shock now because when you go to the store and you see that the average uh, hamburger uh, is somewhere in the neighborhood of four or five dollars a pound for hamburger instead of the dollar 89 to two something it was before depending on whether you got the 70 well that's right seven whether you got the 70 30 or the 80 20 you know mix you are paying taxes and they are compounding because every step of the process chain you're paying taxes you're paying tax you're paying for the taxes on the gas that the truck driver had to pump into his tank in order to drive the right. livestock to the slaughterhouse, and for the panel truck driver or the refrigerated truck driver, we had to drive it from the slaughterhouse and the processor to the grocery store. You're you paying know, for all that. You realize and if you don't think you are, you are living in a right. far, far, fantasy far land. fantasy utopia than, than just about anybody else around you. Most people don't realize how much an employee actually costs. They co- well, okay. thirty thousand dollar a year employee costs pretty close to fifty thousand dollars a year well, to okay. maintain. The old standard used to be when you hired somebody and you gave them a salary, the total cost of that employee to your bottom line was one point eight times right, the amount doubled. of the salary. Yeah. Almost, so I believe it's now doubled or better. It might be because if you think about that, I just paid uh, my withholding. Yep. Yesterday, now I don't. I I, I pay withholding for my one employee and me. I know for a fact that when I pay Social Security, it's not just coming out of your paycheck. Oh, no. It comes out of my bottom line because I have to double whatever comes out of your paycheck. Mm-hmm. And the same That's for right. Medicare. 
your Medicare costs, uh, I pay half that. I pay for your unemployment. I pay for your, I pay for your workers' compensation. Not you, but you know what I'm saying. If mm-hmm. you were my employee, uh, I pay uh, all kinds of fees and inspections and all kinds of stuff that just simply, uh, people keep asking me, why don't you hire somebody? And I go, I can't afford to hire anybody because to pay them, I'm going to have to pay them, uh, you know, 25 or $30,000 a year, which is going to cost me $60,000 a year that I don't have. Well, don't you realize that that would help your business won't run more efficiently? And I'm like, I don't think it will. I really don't. Can I keep somebody busy? Yes. But is it worth $60,000 a year? it's not yeah well and and again and and that's where you have to you have to figure out well if i don't do this then i need to spend another four hours a day in the shop working and that's what's what happens and then you have the opportunity costs that you're losing out on of of having a trade-off you know honestly chuck what we're missing today in this culture is beyond a, a shared sense of morality is a shared sense of economics Nobody teaches economics anymore. I mean, especially oh, not especially right. not in the lower school levels. We're all worried about CRT and and uh, you know the gender unicorn and all these things being taught to our kids. We should be worrying just as much about why they're not being taught basic economics. If kids if kids understood economics, CRT and those and uh, yeah. you know Mar- Marxist education. Yep. They, anybody trying to teach Marxism would be laughed out of the building. Yeah, by the students, they'd be hooted if, out if, of the if building they were, if they if, take in economics. But instead, what do we get? They don't understand economics, okay. so we're hearing socialism and communism are really the way to go. I mean, well, it's because it creates a utopian mindset. Uh, utopia. It's a utopian mindset. Now, uh, now I'm going to give a little credit where credits due before anybody yells at us. <laughs> I do know for a fact that the Ohio legislature did recently. I think it was. I think they did it in the budget require now a course in financial literacy for high schoolers it's one half credit i think your senior year i'm not sure one half credit which is usually like means a class like one semester out of the two two semesters you go to school that's one class one semester of one year of your of your lessons talking about how to balance a checkbook is not teaching you economics. It's That's, teaching you how not to overspend, which is valuable. Yeah. But financial literacy and understanding economics are two entirely different animals. Okay. Understanding economics, you would be able to understand how to, why you should balance your checkbook, not just how to do it, why you should do it. The opportunity costs of if I spend X number of dollars on A versus B, what are my actual hidden and opportunity costs on that? C, the value of abstaining, of holding back, of not spending yeah. everything you get. When you like when you're that high school kid and you go work at McDonald's flipping burgers and you get that first paycheck for a hundred and some dollars, you don't go out and buy a brand new pair of sneakers or buy, you know, the latest albums that you can put on your C D player. Many of them do. Maybe you should say, hmm, let me think about this here. I got some future goals. I got some future dreams I want to get to. I want to go to college, but my, mom and dad don't have the money, and I don't have the grades in order to like get a scholarship or whatever. Maybe I need to save 10 or 15% of this back every week. 
maybe I need to save a little bit because, oh, well, I, I, I'm going to be living on my own. And, well, rent and utilities okay. and everything cost a lot of money. But then again, that's all just financial literacy. It's not really economics. Economics is understanding how money actually works. Why? Understanding the con job that is a you know bank savings account because you hand the bank your money that they can go and use and spend and you get like one tenth of one percent interest interest rate on it while they're getting twenty one percent interest on it. You've illustrated a point here, and that's when we started out talking. We started talked about the church abrogating its responsibilities. Now we're really talking about parents abrogating their responsibilities. They have surrendered that responsibility to the school system. Right. The reason that that uh, um, kids don't understand economics is because parents don't teach them economics. Well, now and many, been, and many of those parents don't understand economics themselves because they're of a generation now that was basically told from young age, get yourself a card, put everything on it, and go to college. You you have to go to college. A you can't learn a skill. You can't learn a trade. You got to go to college. That's going to be our main goal and pushed by governments. Then here, have a credit card while you're in college and, and, you know, don't worry about it because you can just pay the minimum payments and we keep floating you for the rest of time and while the interest runs right. on it. Um, and, or, and, or take out a student loan. Well, the biggest regret most students have is taking out a student loan. It's not the, the coursework that they no. did. It's taking out a student loan. Which, by the time they get done with school, is so large. It, frankly, they're going. They're working half of their adult lives just to pay back their if, loan. If you go to a postgraduate institution, you are looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. If you, it because, for instance, a medical degree, four hundred, five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars, which is a ridiculous place to start. I don't care how much money you're working you're making as a medical professional. That's a ridiculous amount of money. If you go to law school, uh, depending on the state, how many, you're, you know, a lot of places now are, are requiring f- to take the bar a Juris Doctor, which is, what, five years of law school, something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're going to graduate with similar, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, Um and and that's amazing to me because I graduated in 1989, and I think I graduated with ten thousand dollars in student loan debt, which I paid off fairly quickly. Five years, I think, um, and uh, may, maybe maybe slightly longer. You can't ten thousand dollars doesn't even pay a single semester, even at at some in-state institutions now. It's become ridiculous. The the same people who were uh, occupying um, administ you know college administration offices and demanding free tuition are now raising tuition at their own institutions willy nilly with almost no no consequence because everybody has economically figured out they got to have a degree to actually make any money when in fact Barry. What's the real ticket for for a young man, especially right now? Go into welding. Go, yeah, absolutely. Get an apprenticeship with a welder. Get an apprenticeship with a plumber. Get an apprenticeship with an electrician. Yep, absolutely. And that may mean joining a union, which for that purpose is fine. Become a uh, 
you know, let the let the guys who know what they're doing train you on how to how to make this run. Right. And it's not, you know, without its own expense because you got to buy tools and workman's tools are expensive. Real, you know, you're not going to go down to Harbor Freight and get some of this stuff. <laughs> well, you can, but you, can. you won't last long on That's the job. Right. You'll be buying it seven or eight times, uh, depending on That's the tool. That's where you need that course in economics. <laughs> yeah. Now, see, I buy Harbor Freight tools just because I use them once in every whip stitch. And yeah. if they go bad, I go, you know, a $35 tool, I go buy another one. You go one. buy another one. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Because, um, you know, five or six years goes bad. Well, I got six years out of a $35 tool. It's not bad. But if you're using that tool every single day, mm-hmm. it's got to last. Okay. That being said, most people don't understand that anymore because what are the tools they're using? They buy a computer. Yep. Or they're given a computer from work. True. Um, some people don't even know what computers cost because they're given they're given to them. Mm-hmm. It's now, true. guess what, folks? That's built into the cost of whatever you're buying. If you're an insurance company, like I, I, I think my insurance, my homeowner's insurance, just skyrocketed. Why? Did I have some kind of a claim? No. The costs are going up. Uh, you know, uh, every time somebody sees a, a, a shingle flapping in a, in a strong breeze, oh, I got roof damage, I got a new roof. And they pay for it, right? Yeah. But what has happened to the value of property in the last year and a half? In many cases, more than doubled. Yeah, it's skyrocketing. Well, more than doubled in value means usually at least a 45 or 50% increase in the cost of your insurance. Why? Because if your place burns down, the value of the contents has gone up. So not only do you have construction value, you've got contents value. Well, it's called replacement value. And replacement yes. value. Yeah, that's right. The whole replacement value. I mean, mine went from like eight fifty a year to thirteen fifty a year, something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm paying somewhere around thirteen a year. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I would, I had, but I've had. I don't think I've ever put in a homeowner's claim. I've put in one one time when we had lightning run in on a, I on a chest that. freezer that was full of meat. Sadly, uh, so we so we lost, but they they calculated. I mean, it was an old chest freezer, but they calculated the value yeah. pretty fairly, um, and so we were able to replace. But you know, it's that's why you buy insurance, okay? Yeah, but that being that being said, does the church understand modern economics? No. Oh they don't. gosh, no. They don't have a clue. Now, when I say the church collectively, yeah, um, there are churches that really do understand how things do work, how they're supposed to mm-hmm. work, and what the difference is. The problem is a lot of churches have subtracted themselves out of the fight to change things back to the way they should be. Mm, well, yeah, there's that too, because uh, there, it's easy to go easier to go along than to go against. Well, it's also easier to say, well, our job. Is to convert souls. Well, that's and part. That's part of the, that is that takes part me, of the that job. That takes me back to Acts. You had the presbyters, and then you had the diaconate because that's right. both of them had a job, and both of them were part of the intrinsic role of the church. That's where I was going, and you just landed I'm right on. Glad it. I circled back. You circled right no, in. I, on I knew it. you wanted to, and, and I want and, to too. And it's just you know, so so you know, we're looking at this, Chuck. And again, this week, everybody's focused on an election. Right. And I'm going to say that I'm not disappointed in how things turned out mostly. 
you know, do I believe that it was it's probably better for the people of Virginia to have Glenn Youngkin as their governor rather than Terry McAuliffe? Yeah. Do I believe it's better for the country? Probably, because McAuliffe is, you know, part and parcel of the whole Clinton cabal. and, and uh, There's more to it than that. There's he, a lot more was, to it than he's that. He's just but, a bad player, I'm just period. Throw, yeah. I'm just going to skim across right. the surface here. But, you know, the problem is, is that in many of these races, whether it's at the, that level of a governor or right. the attorney general or the, you know, Congress, we, you know, because we had here in Ohio, Mike Carey beat Allison Russo pretty handily for that congressional, that open congressional seat. So, you know, the Republicans are going to hold another, hold that seat um, for at least for a little while. Everybody's like very, they feel a sense of relief because we had all these wonderful people win and we had these people on school boards and everything. Because, you know, that's the big thing right now. The, the reason why Terry McAuliffe lost in Virginia was because he ran into a buzzsaw called an angry parent. Right. That was part. I don't care. You can you can talk about tiki torches and stunts <laughs> and right. gaffes and old right. and old comments and and wokeness no. and everything else. Terry McAuliffe lost because he forgot the basic fundamental right of a parent to protect and bring up their own children, and he believed that government had a stronger um, ownership right than a parent does. And and he forgot that you don't call. The feds in to bully those parents. Well, yeah, as we're seeing uh, the National School Boards Association, by the time this, well, maybe not by the time this airs, but maybe by the time the end of this year comes around, maybe a defunct organization. It very well they, might be. They People are, are losing, pulling out. They're losing members left and right over this thing. They issued a, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, they've now issued a sorry, not sorry letter, is what right. I like yeah, to call that's it. Right. Because supposedly everybody's saying that there is an apology letter and they're backtracking. I read the letter, Chuck. Did you? It is it, full of weasel words, it's weasel. platitudes, and the we're sorry we got caught. We're sorry yes. we didn't. <laughs> we underestimated the amount of pushback we were going to get on this. They never said they were going to quit. It's like your three-year-old who's managed to get up on the counter and says, I, I really didn't do anything bad when the cookie crumbs are all no, over their face. mouth yeah, right. and on their fans. And, of course, yeah. they could put that letter out there because now that horse is out of the barn. Merrick Garland, the United States Attorney General, has issued to the U.S. attorneys across the country and to the FBI marching orders about starting to investigate these disruptions right. at school board meetings. They're, the, the purpose they had for the original letter has been served, which they knew it was going to anyway, because as we're starting to see from when Garland gets questioned on the Hill by Jim Banks, and I, I don't know if Jim Jordan was in on that hearing, but I know in, Daniel Inouye and others just grilled him to the bare bones and came to find out it was a circular thing right they wanted to do something the nsba had been meeting with the white house they put together the letter to send to the white house that gives the ag the excuse to form the right. task force that they already wanted to form in the first place it's basically what do they call that a feedback loop yeah and in, in spy circles that's called a feedback loop where the second guy is actually the one causing all the issues, but it's the first guy that everybody looks at and blames. So the National School Board Association is the first guy. The Biden administration is the second guy. That's the one you need to blame on this. And I think voters in Virginia figured that out, and they repudiated, and voters in the 15th Congressional here in Ohio, because Joe Biden came in the weekend before the election and personally endorsed Alison Russo, which I think was the kiss of death for her. 
Probably. And I think it was the kiss of death for Terry McAuliffe because every last stinking person who was paying any attention whatsoever and actually went out to vote, and by the way, we actually had higher turnout in an off-year race in the both areas, Virginia and in Ohio, than we've had in a long, long time because people were motivated, Chuck. Right. What's the strongest motivation someone has? You're messing with my kid. Exactly. And we're seeing it. And the thing is now, folks, and I'm going to say this, Chuck, and this is probably not going to be very popular because I know, like I said, you and I both know that a lot of our friends are patting themselves on the back and they're wiping the brow and they're going, hey, we dodged a bullet and yeah, great, we got our guys in and we're going to do so many things and fit. No, they're not, especially not in school boards. You know, I just got a I just got a text from a member of the Board of Education in Ohio, who's a good friend of mine, who basically said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there was all this big talk about how we re- we repealed the CRT resolution they passed last year, and of course we've had the State Board of Education president and one of the appointed members of the board both resign this last week because the governor's office is getting heat on CRT, and of course they needed to have them take right. fall on a sword." But you know, this school board member sends this thing and says, oh, but don't we passed a different resolution, resolution 13, at that meeting. And basically, it's just reiterate without saying it, we're doing the same thing. Right. We're all, the schools are already implementing this stuff, and we're just basically giving them cover now. But it doesn't look like we're implementing and, it anymore because, oh, we backed off on that. Here's the trick. And, and, it's, and that's that feedback loop, people. <laughs> you have to pay more attention. It doesn't matter how many different people you put on a school board or how many things. Until they change the fundamental nature of what that school is doing, right? it means nothing. But they can't change the fundamental nature of what that school is doing because that school is controlled by teachers' unions. That school is controlled by professional associations, whether it's school administrators or other, or the, or the NSBA, NSBA or the, or, or the highest, yeah. highest school board association, who all have agendas that they want to meet before they deal with what the parents want. Look, people don't understand. We don't teach CRT here. We don't teach CRT. We we don't teach CRT here. No, they don't have a class called CRT. Exactly. That's that's what they're actually saying. They're saying, we have no program called critical race theory theory here in this school. But when you look at the curriculum... It's all through it. It's all critical race theory. You just don't call it that. Right, exactly. Well, and okay, and this individual, and I, I'm going to try to pull this up because it was sent to me just shortly before we got here to, to come over here and, and talk about this. Okay, I'm on the wrong page. No, I'm on the right page. Okay, um, let me see if I can find this. Uh, but they did a marvelous job. Okay, I found their page. Let me see if it's up here. Yeah, here it is. And they put this out on their Facebook page. I'm not going to give their name, but I'm going to say tell you what they said. They said on October 12th, 2021, the Ohio State Board of Education replaced Resolution 20, which was the one from the previous year that basically embraced CRT, with Resolution 13. Now, Resolution 20 was a resolution to condemn racism and to advance equity and opportunity for black students, indigenous students, and students of color. Okay? Resolution 13 that they just passed academic excellence in K-12 education for each Ohio student without prejudice or respect to race, ethnicity, or creed. Those are almost the same thing. Yeah. Okay. 
And, and, and the school board member goes and gives it a little analysis and says, all that aside, neither resolution can be fully understood apart from the underlying premise of Ohio's 2017 Strategic Plan for Education. Each child our future. That's the name of the strategic plan that they put. Now, this was done by a bunch of policy think tank folks and the former superintendent um, of uh, schools, a guy by the name of Paula DeMaria, who's now at the National School Board Association. Of course. That's who hired him. Okay. So here's what it says. It declares, quote, equity is the greatest imperative and number one principle, unquote. Chuck, what's equity mean? Justice. In in biblical terms, it means justice. Yeah, it does. But, but true, it, true justice, not... Uh, but it's not. It, equity in this sense oh, it means is the CRT. Sense. The woke sense is CRT. It's CRT. And so, so the school board member says, so what did the replacement of Equity Resolution 20 accomplish? Number one, pending legislation has been neutered. Two, because there was resolution, there there was legislation to basically hammer them down and say you can't do it. Number two, the public believes Ohio has rejected CRT ideology. Number three, schools can continue to move forward implementing CRT and equity with diminished public dissent. <laughs> yep. Four, equity adv- advocates want a blue ribbon for their unethical public relations maneuver, and says that I. So basically, a lawsuit over the Resolution 20 declaration that the State Board of Education condemns in the strongest terms possible white supremacy culture was preempted. So in other words, they passed that resolution to get as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Right. Including for the governor. Oh, of course. He's running who, for a re-election. Who was perfectly fine with the resolution last year, Resolution 20, exactly. because his appointees were the ones who brought it. His superintendent of state schools, Paula DeMaria, who now went to the National School Board Association, was his handpick. Here's a little problem here, folks. Who's who's doing what with whom? That's the question. Okay, here's the question you always have to ask yourself. I've been telling people this a lot lately because it's so it fits so well. Anytime a politico or someone tells you to take an action or resist taking an action, do something or don't do something, first question you need to ask yourself is, if I do what they're asking me to do or refrain from doing what they're asking me not to do, how does it benefit them? Yeah. So if you buy into this that all of a sudden we've ended CRT in Ohio because the state board repealed Resolution 20 and replaced it with Resolution 13, you have to ask yourself, if I believe that, how does it benefit them? Well, this school board member just spelled it out. They don't have as much public dissent now because people believe that they've ended CRT while it's still being developed right in those same schools under the same banner with just different language. Instead of calling it a big article, you know, resolution, a resolution to condemn racism, it's now academic excellence without prejudice or respect to race, ethnicity, or creed. Sweeter words. Same poisoned result. Okay, teaching Marxism under the under the guise of uh, um, economic justice is still art Marxism. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same thing here. Yes, it's exactly. You know, a, a skunk by any other name would still stink, and voila. Yep, it's still a skunk. 
Yeah, you're right. Now let me let me give you because you talked about the true biblical idea of equity, but here here's the here's what this school board member uh, their analysis is says that equity demands that all students be at the same level and no one can reach higher than the lowest performing student even if those students have reached their maximum achievement level that's what equity means in the in the master plan for schools folks do you want your child to be in a school where equity is the number one principle and guiding force if you think that they might want to be a doctor or they may want to be a scientist or they may want to you know be an astrophysicist or whatever because they're only going to get the the amount of training that either you're willing to for, fight for or what they the schools are willing to give in order to make sure they keep equity balanced the parents with enough money and the smarts to recognize this will, will walk will, they'll take their kids either to homeschool them or they'll send them to to a a fancy yep. private school if they can afford it yep uh the rest of the parents will their kids will turn out and be a mess and they'll say we don't know what happened we sent my child to the fine uh, finest schools we you know we it was a, our our district was highly rated well who rated them mm-hmm. and ha- what was the criteria for rating that that's the real question here what was the criteria for rating them i mean we've got a school district south of here that oh my gosh oh if you want your kid to get into harvard or yale or princeton that this is the you know this is the public school you want them to go to yep uh, well i don't want my kids to go to harvard or yale or princeton thank you very much i i would rather they uh, go someplace where they can learn how things actually work rather than marxist theory mhm and so basically what you have is be careful about celebrating too much now, of course, the left, you know, like I said, they think it's Armageddon because, oh, my gosh, we lost all these seats. And what's it going to do for 2024? Blah, blah, blah. That's because all they're worried about is the next election. That's because right. that's how they get power. Problem is, with us, they've had those powers long enough to create the institutions that are continuing to churn out the things that are giving them power. So you don't go after the power seats. You go after the institutions. You go after the school. So if your school board member wants to sit and fight about CRT and whether or not it's in that school, you need to stop them cold dead and say, no, no, no. What you need to fight is why those schools are existing to indoctrinate a student right now. And you need to give the parents the right, the responsibility, and the opportunity to pick up their child and put them wherever they feel like, and the money follows the child. You know, that's that's the key. If you don't have the school board members who are saying we're supporting money following the child, what you have is a school board member who's okay with the edifice as it stands as long as there's a new paint job on the front. Barry, this is okay. You just mentioned the words that point this out as being a Gramscian program, Antonio Gramsci. Now, most of you, we've talked about this on past shows. Uh, Antonio Gramsci was an Italian uh, Marxist, who basically said, you guys are, uh, he, he he looked at the Communist International, which was Stalin, and he said, you guys, this is a loser. You're, you're never going to get all the all these people to rise up and overthrow the, the power structure. Why? Because what are they looking for? You know, through the trade unions, they're looking for a higher paycheck and safer working conditions. Uh, they don't really want to overthrow the whole system because they know that's a major gamble. So he said, what we have to do is march, do what they call the long march through the institutions, 
And what that means is you go in and get your people put in here and put in there and put in another place. And then you exclude people who don't match your particular viewpoint. You make sure they don't get tenured positions. Yep. Your friends get tenured positions, those who agree with you. And little by little by little, you take over, rather than being broad-minded, like, unfortunately, uh, or I think fortunately, people like you and me, we would say, okay, you can come into the institution and teach, but we're going to make sure people know who exactly what you're about. They say, you're not allowed to be here. We're not giving you a job. In fact, you're not allowed anywhere within 50 miles of our campus or whatever, our, our think tank, or whatever. That's called the Gramscian, that's the Gramscian program, the long march through the institutions. Uh, and, and when you say that, you can begin to see it when you think about it. I mean, not just institutions like colleges, seminaries, businesses. Yep. Um, why do you think places like Nike are doing things that actually hurt their business? Because it does, it doesn't matter. Enough people are still buying the product to make sure that they're profitable. And even if they're not profitable, these people are pledged to actually go down before they would um, give up the their um, their ideology. This is what happens, and we're in the middle of that. Yes, we are. Um, and if you don't recognize it, you really. And Gramsci, you can find his books. Uh, I'm not sure you, you know, if you're not interested in it, you might not get much out of it. But again, you pick up a book by Gramsci or read something on Gramsci. You know, I, I have believe, to believe me. Your kids and your grandkids are reading him because that's what's being fed that's to them in the schools now. That's what's being fed to them in the schools. They're they're getting it hand me down. It may not be under the name Antonio Gramsci, but they're getting they're getting Gramsci in theory. Uh, I think it was Tom DiLorenzo or maybe Tom Woods, one of those guys who basically, tongue-in-cheek, said the only good thing Benito Mussolini ever did was throw Gramsci in jail. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes that's that's what you got to do. <laughs> so so uh, um, this is what we're dealing with, folks. And, and people like my parents were warning people without understanding fully what was happening. They're saying, like, do you not understand that there is a takeover of these institutions happening. Yeah. I mean, this is 60 years ago. In the in the mid-60s, uh, especially after 1970, uh, with uh, the college campus rights and that kind of thing, a lot of the old school who were liberal but not really, um, not really uh, cultural Marxist, and by the way, Gramsci is the father of cultural Marxism, and Barry just described cultural mar- Marxism. That's exactly what yeah, it is. that's what it is. It's the long march through the institutions. It's the takeover, the inculcating of the of the philosophy without calling it Marxism. <laughs> so until you get at the root, you haven't actually felled the tree. That's why I'm saying don't think it's all over because you put a few people on a school board seat. That's right, because the battle has just begun. And let me tell you, unless you really got guts, because... If you're one of the people who, who Barry and I were just talking today about some of these uh, neophytes who have gotten in, gotten themselves elected to legislatures, and uh, we were talking about what's the first thing that's going to happen, uh, especially the Republicans, they're going to get co-opted instantly, instantly by yeah. the mainstream Republicans who are, in fact, Gramscian, uh, to a large extent, Gramscian cultural Marxists. Yep. 
And, folks, if you can't understand why bad things happen when Republicans get in, it's because they're infiltrated, too. And with that, guess what? We're out of time. That figures. Well, you know what we think. We want to know what you think. www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. And join us again next week for another Principles and Policies.